in this week's show, uh, we have a special guest, our founding member of the Mystic Skeptic uh, family, Brian, and I have been having this debate for a year. And I was tuning into the studies that were coming out right away. And playing right out there. So the virus comes and now it's like, oh, here's something that we could use to, to further our interests. That's as old as, as history and treated children like, like prisoners. Let's talk about that because, because when, when um, I got really upset at um, Ben Shapiro, I never listened to the show. So many vaccines and there's so many people that need to get it. This was at the beginning of the vaccine uh, push. And he was mad because instead of giving it to only the elderly people who are most likely to die from the, the pandemic, they were also planning on giving it to the caregivers. And then he's like, and they have to make this racial. Why would you give it to the caregivers? Is it because they're black? Most of them. Oh, and, and that's what uh, the Democrats were pushing. And I'm like, listen, oh, wow. dude, do you even know like the problem? As healthcare workers, you give it to them because they go from room to room taking care of the old people. Certainly. When you go into the room, you can bring it to the next one. So if you just give it to the elderly people, what about the, you know, that's where you start going, well, what about their loved ones? And what about the kids? And what, so with, with the schools, you say, okay, the kids are fine, most of them. There has been kids who have died from it. But let's say most kids are, are fine. What about the teachers? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, is the, that is the data. Okay. And I don't think that there's anybody who's honest that looks at the data who could, who could really argue against that. The data is pretty clear. That's fine. But, so let's say that somehow a kid becomes a vector and the kid doesn't have it or whatever or is carrying it with them. They went, they went to their house and their mom works uh, with the elderly people and, and she coughed on the kid and the kid has it on his hair and then the kid is, you know, playing around and the teacher opens her mouth and it goes in. Yeah, life. That's life. Okay, but we've had a problem with that before because if that's life and you can get sick from anything, yeah. I brought up... That's the- part of life. Be getting sick and the, the, the threat, the quote-unquote threat or the risk of getting sick or the threat or the risk of dying is a part of life. So pros and cons. So you would do a pros and cons perspective and you say the the percentage of people dying from this is is low so we're we're gonna put because if you get people if you're going get to people, allow we're going to allow people to live that's fine and i understand what, what we what we've seen is is the shutdowns have added more devastation than than was necessary and and so if you're if you're dealing with a pandemic we're already we're already tested right in so many levels and then if you, if you literally shut down life as a result of these shutdowns, then you're adding, you're adding more strife to life. And we did that because we were worried about hospital capacity. We were worried about these huge numbers of deaths. And, in the, and, and as a result of these measures, we've taken a bad situation, which is a pandemic. Nobody likes it. It's not fun. It leads to all kinds of suffering. And we've multiplied the suffering with the lockdowns and the shutdowns. And we've had, we've, had, we've had a period of time where these have been in place. And what is the data showing us? The data showing us no statistically significant difference between spread rates and infection rates between municipalities or nation, nations with severe lockdowns as compared to those without. Let me ask you this. So, you know, and, and the WHO, a number of people from the WHO have come out and said, hey, we don't think lockdowns are appropriate. Um, we're seeing all these unintended negative ramifications and consequences. They went, they went out of their way to say, we think that um, governments should, re, should, should reexamine their lockdown policies. You know what happened? they were tarred and feathered by the mainstream media. And then two days later, they were like, well, maybe not, blah, blah, blah. But the, it doesn't matter because the data is showing us. The data, you can't argue with it. But what happens is, is 
if you put out relevant data from, from respected institutions throughout the entire world, from respected uh, uh, epidemiologists and virologists and biologists and, you know, statisticians and, and, you know, from places like uh, Stanford University and other, other respected universities throughout the world, they're putting forth the same data. And what happens? If I, if I post that on Facebook, I get a bullshit fact check. Right? And so what's, what's happening is, is credible information, incredible data that's counter to the narrative of gloom and doom and we must stop life to save life, is immediately, almost as soon as it comes out, denigrated and censored by the mainstream media. So that's where, yeah, you ha- I think that when stuff like that's happening, then yeah, your mind, your mind will naturally gravitate some, towards some sort of conspiratorial explanation. Because there's, there's cohesion within this group. There's cohesion amongst MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, the Huffington Post, Fox News, the Washington Post, you know, <laughs> all these different media outlets who, and then on top of that, YouTube, Google, Facebook, Instagram, whatever else, Another all doing the same thing. They're literally taking credible information, credible data, that's counter to the, what's become the official narrative, and they are canceling it. That's a problem. Let me ask you. There was two things I was going to say, but I'm going to say this one first. The, my issue with, with um, anarchists and, and libertarian perspectives is that they support anti-regulation. Um, if we had more regulation of the, of the mass media, we wouldn't be in the problem that we're at right now. If, if there was a sense of um, equity where you would have different divergent views um, given a, a, an opportunity to speak, if you had more diversity on the owners of these companies, things would be so much different. But when they started chipping and all that, now of course you're going to get the same narrative because it's the same people. It's like when people say, uh, oh, you're just being ridiculous saying that the Democrats and Republicans are the same people. They are the same people. You have people who actually switch from party to party and they have no, no difference or their policies are the same. And no matter what party they're in, they have the same policies and they can still get through. So this idea that, that the media is completely um, neutral or outside of the political realm, that has gone down the wayside a long time ago. It's, it's almost like oh. Mexico where the media is owned by the government. There's no, they, such, thing, there's no such thing as non-biased media. Right. It doesn't exist. But... Uh, so let me ask you this. If, if it was the people that, that pressured the politicians and said, hey, we feel unsafe. Hey, I don't feel comfortable attending my kids to school. Hey, maybe we should shut down the school and stuff like that. If it was people-led from the top, from the bottom up instead of from the top down, would that make you more comfortable? Because I have a friend who's a conservative, and he was saying that the issue with abortion, the issue with gay marriage, is that it was forced on the people that instead of being ratified in every state and given an opportunity for people to duke it out, they came to a point where they just passed it federally and everybody has to agree. And that created a sense of pushback from the people. And, and you can say the same thing with what's going on with the, some of the Trump supporters and people like that, that they feel that they're being pressed down and then they, it, it comes out in, in destructive ways. Do you think that if it was from, from the people saying, hey, um, you know, we don't want this pandemic to affect us. So how can we make it? Because politicians, they make decisions for us and they say, well, I have a mandate and I have to keep my constituents happy, happy, but they never ask the constituents what they want. And I think that's something that you've shared with me a long time ago, that if the people were actually given the opportunity to speak and to share their views, that we would have a different type of. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely for human freedom. And if it was a situation where, certain groups of people had one way of responding and another group of people had another way of responding. Then I think that both groups have just as much right to respond as they wish to respond. What that, but there's a, but there's a a point to which that doesn't become true because 
we all have different perspectives, right? We've all had different lives. We've all had situations that lead us to think this way or that way. Or maybe we were raised Democrat or maybe we were raised Republican or we were raised Jewish or Catholic or whatever. All those things color our perspective, whether we've traveled the world or not, whether we've been to big cities or we spent our entire lives in small municipalities. All those things color our perspective and color our reality. And, and from that perspective, every person's perspective is just as uh, valid. But where we go off track is when we grant people the power or the authority to dictate to us what our perspective should be, what our thoughts should be, maybe how we should speak or not speak. Um, and, and, and then with respect to coronavirus, how we should respond to a natural phenomenon of life. So the scenario that you provided, I think is a, is provides us with some things to think about here, which is essentially this. Yeah, there would probably be amongst the population, a number of people who would have, who would have, adopted these measures, whether they were mandated or not. And as far as respecting human freedom goes, if that's how you want to respond, that's how you should respond. But the flip side of that is, is, is also the fact that you would have a certain percentage of the population whose natural tendency to, was to respond to it in a totally different way. So it's like you could make the comparison between, on a national level, between how Switzerland um, responded and how New York responded, right? Um, Switzerland basically said, we trust the people of our country to make decisions in regards to their own health, which is if you think that you're, you're going about unmasked is a threat to people and you, you want to protect people by wearing a mask, wear a mask. That's fine. If you feel like you need to shut down your business, shut down your business. On the other side, if you feel that wearing a mask when you're, when you feel healthy and you have no symptoms is, doesn't make sense, then don't wear the mask. If you feel like you can, stay healthy and you're not really all that concerned about getting Corona, then keep your business open. That, that, that's a respectful, that's respectful of human freedom. The problem with the shutdowns and the problem with a lot of these, what I would consider to be draconian responses to this virus is that it doesn't leave any room for human freedom. As soon as the governor or the mayor makes their order or makes their, makes their mandate, technically according to the law, anybody who violates that is in violation of the law. Um, that's where I see the problem at, because if the government has the ability to dictate to you how you respond to a natural, reoccurring phenomenon of life, then essentially the government, ha there's no limit to government. There's no limit to it. If they can dictate which businesses are essential and are non-essential in response to a natural phenomenon of life, if they can dictate to you that you cannot gather for religious purposes or other purposes in response to a natural phenomenon of life, if they dictate to you that you can't see your dying elderly loved one at a nursing home, if they dictate to your kids that they can't go to school or that we've got to wear masks whenever there's a new virus that comes around. At humanity, we've lost a huge amount of freedom. We've lost a huge amount of freedom because we no longer have the natural right or the natural freedom to respond how we so choose, according to the dictates of our own conscience and our own understanding, to what amounts to something that has happened throughout all of civilization, is happening now, and is likely to happen in the future. And what I saw, what, what is most concerning to me is that usually when the government grants itself an extra power, it never gives it up. I mean, 
and, and uh, the terrorist scare is an example of that, which is essentially that after 9-11, all these new laws were put into place, which basically allowed the NSA to, 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 to surveil anything and everything that we do. And it's still going on. Um, it, it, it basically treated everybody as guilty until proven innocent when every time you walk through an airport security line, you know, none of those things existed prior to 9-11. Um, and now what's happening with this coronavirus is, is that we're, we're facing the, the scenario. In some places in the world, it's more likely than it, it maybe is in here, but it's still being talked about, which is this idea of the immunity passport, <laughs> which is essentially, <laughs> I've got, you'll be required to prove your immunity in order to participate in normal life in order to travel in order to go to a concert in order to possibly even go into a store that's a very dangerous thing and if your immunity is dependent upon getting injected with some vaccine well then the human being doesn't even have sovereignty over their own body anymore the the principles that are contained within the hippocratic oath which have been with with which have been uh, sacred to the practice of medicine since the time it was developed are out the window. And, and, and so basically the choice of the, of the individual is, is you either comply or you can't participate. <laughs> Man, that's some scary stuff. And that could go south real fast, especially when you're dealing with vaccines that even can't, that some of these vaccines like Moderna's, um, or any of them that are using the mRNA technology, they're not even vaccines. They're gene therapy. They're not, you can't even, they're called vaccines, but they're, there's something totally different than vaccines. Before we and, go into vaccines, and, I want to ask you something. I mean, I'll just close it with this. My body is my soul's temple. I have sovereignty over it. It does not belong to the government and it does not belong to the medical establishment or the pharmaceutical establishment. I have a right by virtue of my existence, by virtue of my natural humanity to participate in life without being forced to have something injected into me. Ryan, you're an attorney, so... I want to see your perspective on this. Do you feel that this country has become so legalistic that what it really is all about is people getting sued? Because you know that it's going to come down to that. If, if you send your kid to school and the kid ends up dying, they're going to say, you dummies, look what you did. Where's my $3 million? Exactly. And I hate to live in a place like that where everybody's cowardly hiding from getting sued and... On the other hand, coming from a country that the rules don't work and that if something bad happens to you, there's no malpractice, there's nothing, you're on your own, there's, there's a, a safety net for people who, who have you know, challenges. You know, if I find out that you know, I, I got cancer from working in a certain place or that my house uh, had lead poisoning or something like that, there is um, some type of um, way to to benefit somehow, like to, to appease you a little bit. Uh, there's a recourse. So um, do you think that we passed the threshold of just living a normal life without being worried about the financial impact on every individual for every single choice you make? Yeah, we kind of live in like a legalistic prison in some ways where our lives are are uh, artificially confined or artificially uh, regimented or routed in certain ways based upon uh, all these laws that have developed over time. And yeah, the liability thing is definitely a part of what's going on. Um, and I think that that's one of the main reasons why the larger corporations in this country from the very beginning didn't really put up any sort of a fuss to these mandates because they probably would have done it anyway, just from, just from concerns out of liability. Same thing goes for school districts 
or the local government. Um, so yeah, the whole liability thing has a huge, huge role to play in all this. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a really big thing. Um, and you know, some, some states have different rules, different laws when it comes to that. Uh, like Nebraska, for example, there's caps on, there's uh, there's actually caps on, on liability and a certain money of whatever, a certain amount of money that comes from any sort of a judgment also gets put into a public fund, a public pool. And I think that, you know, it would be wise for other states to adopt those types of laws. But what's happened is, is and that it's a similar thing that's happened with all sorts of agencies and bureaucracies within this country is that they've been captured by the corporations. And so the judiciary, the, the judiciary or the judicial bureaucracy that's present within states is probably one of the most powerful bureaucracies on the state level. Um, and, you know, what they want is usually what they get because most of the people who are writing the laws, most of the people who are uh, uh, heads of these agencies um, were either former attorneys or or went to law school. And so, um, let, you know, for example, um, some states have really wide open personal injury laws and, and no caps on liability and other things. And when you go into those states, one of the first things you'll see in a big city is billboards for all sorts of different personal injury attorneys all over the place. Well, when you, when you're in a state and you see that, you know that that state doesn't have any real uh, regulation of that, of that industry because the, the lobbyists have used their influence and their money to, to make sure that doesn't happen. And that, you know, so that's the liability with, with personal injury lawsuits that's just one example, but that, I mean, you know, as well as I, that that's happening all the way through on, in, in every single branch of the government. And I, I mean, that would be a good segue to talk about. Um, this is a good segue to, to bring up the, the corporate capture of the CDC, the national Institute of health and the, um, I can, the, this acronym is so long. I, I sometimes got to look at it. The national Institute of allergy and infectious diseases, which is, led by Dr. Fauci. And what's happened within those organizations is that, well, from the very beginning, they've been what you would call, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, um, the way it's typically meant or typically used, but they are, they are essentially fascist organizations. They are government slash private organizations. And um, their their funding and their their um, livelihood from that perspective is dependent upon revenues from the mainly the pharmaceutical industries. And so, for example, um, there was a there was just to kind of give a maybe a, like a just a short little history of how we came to this point. Back in, I wish I could remember the year. Um, I think it may have been like the eighties or the nineties there was a law that was passed that allowed for uh, funding of patents and inventions and medical technologies coming directly from the public treasury routed through universities and also routed through um, organizations like the CDC or the NIH or whatever else. And as a result of that, the, the, the basically Both, both whatever agency was involved in routing the funds to this group or that group or this, this pharmaceutical company or that pharmaceutical company received either royalties or the right to patent that technology. And that's what's happened with the CDC. They have, I think it's something like 20-something or more patents um, related to vaccine technology, um, related specifically to um, the coronavirus. And so if all of our in official information, what's become known as the official narrative with regard to COVID, if all of that's coming from organizations that we know are, are what are, are 
are corporately captured, which is the word that's used for it, then we have automatic reason to suspect that fishy things are going on here. And I think that's what's happened. I think that because the CDC and the NIH and these other organizations, uh, the WHO on an international level, because they have a vested interest in the profits of pharmaceutical companies, they do have an incentive and they do have a, a motive to manipulate reality. And I think that's what's happened. And uh, the media companies do as well, not just from the standpoint of fear sells, because we know it does and we know the media manipulates reality as a result of that. But also because the media, a huge amount of their revenue comes from pharmaceutical companies. So what I'm saying here might sound conspiratorial, but it's actually not. It's just the nature of, of what's become of our government institutions, which is essentially they've been corrupted and they've been captured by the corporations that they were supposed to uh, regulate. And, and that is, I think, the main thing that's driving the narrative. And that's why you see all these major uh, media outlets basically propagating the same information, denigrating and, and ignoring anything that's counter to it. Uh, Dr. Fauci, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that he, he I mean, it's, it's actually, it's, he, he actually has, he actually has money to make if, if, if these pharmaceutical companies are, you know, very successful in this, in this vaccine uh, endeavor. Um, his, his, the, the institute that he's ahead of, he's, that he leads, um, will receive royalties. The CDC will receive royalties. These organizations will receive royalties from uh, the pharmaceutical companies. So uh, if, you, if you put that all together into a big picture, then, then what you see is a situation where corruption has basically become a part of just standard business. And I think it's, it's hard for people to accept that because we naturally want to trust media. We naturally want to trust our health agencies. We want to trust that our governors and our mayors are making decisions that are best that are based upon the best information that's available. And, but unfortunately, that's not what's happening. And um, and it's plain it's really plain to see it because there is all kinds of credible, reputable scientists and and doctors that are basically saying, "Hold on here a second. What's happening here is not right, and they're coming out in droves um, by the by the by the hundreds of thousands throughout the world. And uh, if if I if I post something that 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 says anything that that basically says anything that's counter to the official narrative, it's immediately checked. It's a, the, Facebook puts a little thing on it. Sometimes they're even as bold as to say outright false information. Well. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Facebook, YouTube, Google, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Fox News, I got news for you. You are not the official discerners of reality, but they've taken it upon themselves to become that. So if we put aside uh, what we know, and, and this is what, what I understand is why it's surprising. The humanity has always been... Uh, like this, you know, or maybe it's, it's lack of, of education about history that there's always been forces to benef have maximum benefit over other people. But if we look at um, individuals have been affected by the pandemic and by the manipulation, distortion of resources for their well-being, like a friend of mine had um, a meeting with um, an official of a hospital. And what they were doing is they were looking for Latino influencers to help get the message out to the Latino community because the number of Latinos and African-Americans who have been affected by the virus is higher than other groups. Yeah. And even that can be contested because I found some statistics that said that it was slightly more, but not as much as some people might claim. I so see. the number, maybe 
for some groups it might be twice as much, but they were making it sound like it was like exponentially more. So mm -hmm. let's say that, you know, for me, any, any death or any sickness is too much, but let's say that it's twice as much for certain groups. Uh, it goes back to them working horrible jobs and being exposed more than the people who are more well-established. And people forget, you know, we're all immigrants. But yeah, and just, and just the health levels as well. And there's also, you know, the, I used to work in this um, poverty-stricken hospital, and everybody would come in with heart problems, with high blood pressure, and it was because of the food they were intaking. Yeah, just the nature of their lives, the nature of their environment. So when you are a, a person of, of low means and you have no insurance and you have no cushy job where you can stay home and work from a computer and you're being exposed every day yeah. and you expose your family and multiple people of your family get sick, um, the, you have to, you're kind of trapped. That's really what it comes down to. And I, and I feel that you're kind of like um, a, a voice crying in the wilderness that we are either trapping ourselves or we're trapped in the system that you have no choices. Because the worst place to be is when you have no choices. So, so, such as myself, I didn't have insurance for a year. So if I were to come down with the COVID virus, it would put me in a bind financially. I've heard up to 30000 a week or more for being in an ICU. Uh, and then, um, you know, who's going to provide for your family? And how are you going to be able to get out of, of debt and stuff like that? How are you going to pay your mortgage? So when you start getting trapped because the economy is bad, because the opportunities are bad, because yeah. the premiums for insurances are so high that you can't even get insurance, you're trapped and you kind of do what they tell you. And, yeah. and the, the medical establishment, um, you know, it, any field can be corrupted. So we're not beating up on, on, on any specific field, but we know that there are forces that corrupt things, institutions that are supposed to be Uh, good. So when yeah. you're trapped and the only choices they're giving you are the choices that are available, that's really part of the problem is that you have uh, a lifestyle that traps you into certain um, environments that, that make it more potentially dangerous. You get trapped in the ability to be able to recover, the ability to be able to provide for your family and stuff like that. So you talked about being enslaved by the system. There's, there's different forms of, of manipulating the, the populace to do what you want. And then we were talking about incarceration rates and people who were in jail, they're, they're really stuck with not only they have the worst food, the worst treatment, but also no uh, precautions of any kind. Yeah. And um, you're going to say that, that it's exaggeration that people who have been practicing social distance and masking and stuff like that, They haven't been getting as much as um, a cold as other as before, and it has to do also with humanity not being as clean as it should be. If we were actually all careful, we would have less diseases. Uh, and if we were a health, if we were a healthier society, we would have way less diseases. Uh, and we're I'm sure that we're just not a healthy society. I'm sure there's some issues with encroachment into the environment and messing with parts of the world that we shouldn't be messing with and things like that. It's all connected. Uh, but that being trapped and that not having too many options allows for the, the, you know, I hate the term elite because they were saying that everybody's an elite except Trump. And that's just ridiculous. <laughs> and then um, it always goes back to some cabal of people. But there are individuals who are more privileged and who have more ability to um, not only um, protect themselves and, and their interests, but actually start building uh, worlds around themselves that are, that are uh, generationally beneficial. Yep. And I always get mad at, at people who, who claim that all people from a certain race have privilege for all people from a certain uh, group yeah. because that's not true. But there are individuals who have amassed wealth or power and they're not letting it go, kind of like what you said about the government with the regulations. So the, the people that benefit from, from all these things are problematic, but I'm worried about the little people and how the little people have um, been put in this horrible situation either by human error by uh, willful uh, neglect or by natural causes, they've been put in this, in this very narrow um, space 
with not too many uh, alternatives. So when we start discussing um, theories and stuff like that, that's like a almost like a privileged thing too because some people don't have time to think about where it all comes yeah. from. And we yeah. don't find out like until 60 years later, like with um, certain things when uh, Tuskegee and things like that were going on, you don't find out until way, way later what they were actually doing to people. Yeah. Uh, so how do you think we should move forward? Because one of the challenges I had for you when you were sharing your perspective was like, what is the plan of attack when you're dealing with a, with a, with an infectious disease and when you watch these movies uh, contagion and things like that the first thing that people do is put on a hazmat suit and they walk around with a hazmat suit everywhere so it's kind of like uh, using protection so how do you what other options do you have other than these artificial means because i had shared a, an extreme example there are pol politicians who were acting like there was nothing going on and then somehow they got sick or a bunch of other people got sick those politicians who were acting like it was the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. um, so is there a happy medium or is there, um, uh, I, I still, I don't agree. And I don't believe that there's thousands of doctors who have uh, a divergent view. Uh, there was this one guy who yeah. was on, on, um, on a popular religious show. It's a hundred thousand. It's hundreds of thousands. Well, there was this guy who was on a popular show and he was like, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And there was multiple people that investigated, and they never found any proof. It was all bluff. So, well, so I can, I, I can I can happily present proof to you. It's uh, the World Freedom Alliance. It was started by a number of doctors um, in uh, the Nordic countries and in Germany, um, and especially so in Germany because Germany cracked down very hard, very quickly. Uh, they've had a number of uh, policies that come out that, that they tried to pass that were extremely unpopular, led to massive protests in the streets, and they ultimately scrapped these policies. Uh, but yeah, um, the, it's called the, the Great Barrington Declaration, and it's a declaration that was prepared by this organization, and it has hundreds and thousands of, of, of doctors' signatures from all over the world stating the same thing which is that the lockdowns are not appropriate, um, questioning uh, what's going on with the media narratives, um, questioning the push towards uh, making people believe that the only way out of this is through a vaccine, which is absolutely fraudulent. And so, yeah, there are a lot of doctors, there's a lot of scientists throughout the entire world who are not in favor of what's going on. The thing is, is you don't hear about it because it's counter to the narrative. So... Well, what about if you flip it on the other way where the issue with the the gentleman I was debating last time is that they find something that supports their narrative, such as one guy, one group, one thing, and then you build a narrative. You, it's, yeah. so it's like the opposite of the, of the scientific model. Instead of testing the theories and finding evidence, you find the, the conclusion and then you build it up to lead in that direction. Um, Certainly. So then the question becomes is, is what is the validity of the information that the conclusion is based upon? Right. And then that's where you have to sift through it and have to look at the people involved and look at what they're saying. And that's, I think that's where you can start to be able to discern fact from fiction. Um, you know, what you were saying earlier about this idea of being trapped and what's the answer or is there, is there some sort of happy medium between ignoring it and, and these draconian measures. And I think the answer is freedom. I think it's freedom is something that we've forgotten about because we've been programmed or almost conditioned to think that freedom is associated with irresponsible behavior. But actually it's the op complete opposite. Freedom requires a certain level of awareness And with that awareness comes the ability to govern yourself, to govern your behavior in a way that's respectful to yourself and to your fellow human beings. And so it may seem like some sort of like pie in the sky uh, philosophical principle, but it's a very important one. And it's, it's one that we've kind of 
forgotten because we've been programmed to think that our freedoms come from the government. No, no, our freedoms are a natural aspect of our existence. Um, and they're for the healthy functioning of society. The situation we're in now is that our, our, our system does not allow for freedom in any way, shape, or form. As soon as you're born into this country, you become a subject of it. You are subject to its laws. You are subject to the people who write the laws. You're subject to the people who enforce them. Um, and you're, you're um, yeah, I mean, that's, you are a subject to those things. Um, so from the very beginning, as soon as you're born, you're born within a construct, a very tightly knit, um, uh, very interconnected construct. And so we have drifted so far away from something that might resemble more like, more like freedom because essentially everything that's involved in our society is non-freedom based. We think freedom is being able to choose your job, which is a nice freedom. But for many people, it doesn't really even exist. Um, we think that freedom is uh, the ability to choose who you vote for, which is a nice freedom. Um, but it doesn't seem to make all that much difference in the grand scheme of things. We equate freedom with uh, the ability to travel, which is actually a huge one. We have that. We equate freedom with uh, the freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, which is dwindling. Uh, recently, there's been laws passed that basically treat anybody who's uh, a dissident and who's protesting as a, as a terrorist. This is what's happening. Uh, the people who took part in the, uh, the protests at the Capitol. Now, the media says, well, it's just a a bunch of crazed conservatives and they were trying to overthrow the election and all this. Okay. I get it. <laughs> but the, what was really happening is, is what you're seeing is, 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 is a huge amount of disgust with the way things currently are and with our government. And I think that every single person there had a right to be there and had a right, right to protest. But what's happening is, is they're, they're literally being hunted down by the FBI and questioned and imprisoned. And, and it's happening, it, it happened in Portland too with Antifa. So we're already in a trap, right? Because we have this system that confines us and confines our behavior, it confines our relations, it confines our ability to, to essentially live. Like you, if, unless you have money, you can't live. That's it. Like, um, unless you have a car or unless you have a home, then, you know, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not, you are a pariah. You are outside of the system and, 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 uh, you know, there's no, there's no life there. So our life has been confined according to all these, um, laws and all these uh, ways of living that we've inherited. So we're already quote unquote trapped, as you said, now with COVID we're more trapped. Now, we have to wait until some governor, some governor or mayor tells us it's okay to go back outside. It's okay to gather religiously. Um, it's okay to take off your mask. Um, so, so yeah, with COVID, we took an already trapped situation and we just closed it in even more. And, and we've seen what's happened as a result of that. We've seen huge amounts of unemployment huge amounts of domestic violence, huge rates and huge rate, rate increases of drug abuse, suicide. I mean, all these really horrible, un like unintended consequences. And, um, and then now we're seeing the possibility of even more constriction, which is essentially in some countries at some point, they're going to try to make these vaccines manageable. And then from there, it's going to be a situation where you have to prove your immunity to participate in normal everyday life. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the answer is freedom. But what does that freedom look like? Well, <laughs> uh, 
yeah, what does that freedom look like? Because in actually, in actuality, to have a free society requires an enlightened populace. And if you don't have an enlightened populace, you really can't have freedom. And if you can't have freedom, what do you get? Well, you get what we live in. We live in a highly controlled, highly regimented, um, highly stratified, highly divided society. And what's interesting is, is that if anyone approaches something that might be considered as related to freedom, for example, I've been against the mask from the very beginning. And I understand how that's perceived by a number of people. Quite frankly, I don't care because I know it's not true. Anybody who knows me knows that I care about people deeply. Um, and, and my reasoning for not wearing the mask is based upon my understanding of the data. And the data doesn't indicate one way or the other whether it's effective or ineffective. The data is very, it's flimsy. <laughs> it's very flimsy. There's no rock solid evidence it's not effective and there's no rock solid evidence that it's effective and um the the reason the, the other data that's related to that is the fact that we now know that pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic spread is extremely rare we also know that infection reinfection and the spread of the virus by someone who's already been infected is also extremely rare. But yet we're still, we're still on the same path. We're still expected to wear the masks. We're still expected to um, socially distance, socially isolate. Uh, We're not, you know, we're still expected not to have any sort of larger gatherings. I mean, some of these things are starting to change and thank goodness that they are. Um, but, but what's, what's happened is, is that this precedent has already been set. And if we have another COVID-type situation in the years to come, what's going to happen? Are we going to do the same thing that we did this time? I certainly hope not. <laughs> I certainly hope that this doesn't become the standard procedure. Um, because the danger of that is, is that every time there's a new crisis, the government invariably adopts more powers and invariably reduces human freedom. So in that sense, we're becoming more and more and more constricted. If you combine that trajectory, look at what's happened with COVID and look at what's possible with these new technologies. Well, then that's a very very bad situation because now you have a situation where the people who control these surveillance technologies uh, an example is the NSA and, and their wiretapping and their, and their surveillance of all our internet connections and all our phone conversations and all these things put into a huge, massive database. Then you have a situation where the technocratic elite can literally dictate to us what life is. They can dictate to us like, oh, you all of a sudden now have to use the central bakes cryptocurrency instead of cash. Um, you, all, you all of a sudden now have to prove that you are not a threat health-wise through the immunity passport to your fellow human beings. And that's going to be associated with whether you've had the vaccine or not. So what used to be sacrosanct, what used to be sacred, the human body and the ability to dictate whether you received a medical treatment or not, is now all of a sudden going to become a part of whether you can actually operate and live within normal society. That's, that's a very, very, very dangerous thing, but we're being conditioned to accept it in order to, quote, unquote, return to normal life. And uh, yeah, it's, not, it's, it's very scary, and it's, it should be concerning to anybody who has any semblance of respect for the concept of freedom. Because if we get to a certain level, we go too far down that path, it's going to be a situation where it's going to be very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, to turn back. And you're going to have a situation where the generations of people to come 
or going to live a life that is barely discernible from slavery, from enslavement. I mean, in, in many ways, we're already there. Uh, so, I, I mean, my, my answer is always human freedom. Uh, but unfortunately, we've been conditioned to uh, view human freedom as like this, this thing that's going to lead to extreme amounts of chaos and death and despair and destruction and all these things. And my, my answer to that is, is look around. Look at the world that we live in. It's not a world of freedom. It's a world of enslavement. And what do we have? We have all those things that we fear. Um, I have huge amounts of faith in human beings. I do not hate the elites. I do not hate these people who have become corrupted because I understand that they're taking part in something that's way larger than themselves. And they're playing a role in, in something that we've all inherited. However, I, I, I would also say that I, I, I despise and it disgusts me how, how obedient and compliant we've become. <laughs> Just because it's kind of what we have to do to get along. And uh, I wish there were more people who, I wish there were more people that stood up to what's happened. But what I've seen is pretty much the exact opposite. I've seen even people who agree with me in my stance and even myself have kind of acquiesced to a lot of these things. And uh, if, if we want a different world, if we want to get out of the trap that you're talking about, it's not going to come from the Republicans. <laughs> it's not going to come from the Democrats. It's going to come once people realize the power that they truly have. And that requires person to develop and, you know, a certain level of enlightenment and also the faith um, and the hope that's related to what happens when, when, it, when there's a the critical mass that wakes up and basically says, <laughs> we're done with you. You do not rule our lives anymore. You cannot dictate, dictate to me what I put in my body or what I don't put in my body. You cannot dictate to me um, my interrelation with other human beings. You cannot dictate to me that I can't plant a garden in my own yard. You know, like this, they're not, you can't, you can't make me get a license to do something that I know how to do. Um, I mean, there's so, there's so many, the web, the web keeps spreading. And until, I think until we come to that point as a, as a, a society and as a civilization, things aren't likely to improve. And it may be a situation where things have to get worse before that awakening occurs. So, but I'm, I'm, I am an eternal optimist, even with all these things that, that I see happening with the, the, the increased possibility of a technocratic police state, which is, has the capability and the, and the possibility of turning the planet itself into a prison. Um, I still think that, that, that there's enough people who are aware of what's going on, people like yourself, who are having these shows and, talk, and trying to get to the truth and, and uh, people who are concerned about um, which tends to be um, maybe more in the, the democratic realm, uh, the, the party realm of the Democrats of, of concern for the less fortunate um, that, that there, there is that there there's enough of that there that we, I think we can turn the tide if we can get away from the idea that laws, threats of fine, threats of imprisonment, threats of not being able to take part in normal society are what's going to change society. No. <laughs> you want to change society? You got you to gotta also work on the individual. And 
I think, I think once a person understands what freedom entails, what self-governance entails, and what true democracy entails, then we could get to the situation where, where we put the corporations back in their place. And we, and we start to have actual, actually principled leaders and representatives. Um, but a big step in that direction is allowing, is actually allowing for human freedom. And what I've seen with the coronavirus and the response to it is the exact opposite of that. And that's concerning to me. We're going to leave it at that, Ryan. Thank you for, for sharing your perspective. And like we've started the show to be able to discuss these very complex issues. And it's easy to shut someone down and say, well, whatever, I don't want to hear it. But um, yeah, usually people come from a good place. And it takes a lot to, to actually be able to listen. And uh, we all have different approaches. But um, we did a series on race. And they were saying... Um, You need the warriors, and you need the the appeasers, and you need the the mediators. Yeah, well, everybody plays a role. Yep. So, um, you know, the the activists and the um, the term would be uh, political uh, dissidents or political almost are rebukers, uh, where you where you, where you have to uh, to to speak out loud and to, to make a fuss so people will listen. All those people uh, are important if we want to move forward. If we just want to sit back and let things, uh, you know, implode, then um, it's, it's easy. And in, in the world that we live in, we can keep ourselves entertained and keep ourselves off the radar. But is that really how we want to live? So no, it's really not. It's, I mean, it's easy. It's easy, but... But I, you know, it's it's in the end, it's it's uh, I think it's kind of um, betraying the opportunities that we have in this moment in time, because what the decisions that we make, and um, yeah, the decisions that we make in this moment will define what it's like for the future generations to come, and it's a big moment. It, it's a really huge moment because if it goes, if it goes that that the technocratic way if we're more and more surveilled and more and more controlled and more and more regimented and all these things and it's not going to be a it's not going to be a pretty world it's not going to be good at all so um there's all these other movements that are in support of freedom and support of freeing ourselves from these from these uh traps and these institutions that that aren't helping us and aren't helping the earth and all these things So that's that's the way we got to go, and 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 we need to let go of the fear of going that way. Um, and I think that's the, one of the biggest hurdles is the fear that's associated with breaking from what we've become used to, what we're accustomed to, and going a different. Way. Uh, my hope is is that we make that decision, and that going the other way becomes popular. <laughs> right and it becomes desirable in the face of what we're already dealing with it actually becomes a desirable alternative um and i think that we're in the beginning stages of that but but in order to get there we're going to have to really make sure that the technocrats don't take control because once they once they get a really firm hold on things it's going to be very difficult to go the other way Definitely. Well, again, thank you, and uh, we'll keep the conversation going. Maybe, yeah. hopefully, in a year, you won't come back and give the COVID update again. I hope so too. <laughs> I never thought it would take this long, and, it, and it's still going. So, yeah, man, I, I always enjoy, I always enjoy talking with you, David, and uh, I'm I'm always happy when it, when the opportunity comes around. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, you too, brother. Bye. -bye.